You're listening to the Power Place Audio Podcast. For more resources or to watch the service online, visit us at www.thepowerplace.org. Just nudge your neighbor and say, hey, don't miss next Sunday. We've got a special treat next Sunday you don't want to miss. So a woman frantically called out to her husband who was working in the yard. Our son swallowed a nickel, so I turned him upside down and hit him on the back and he coughed up two dimes. What should I do? Her husband shouted back, keep feeding him nickels. That's what we dads do. A mom and her children watched a PBS special showing the birth of a baby. And one fascinated child asked, Mom, does that hurt? Oh, yes, it does, she said, remembering her difficult deliveries. Wow, said the kid. Does it hurt the mother too? Let me, uh, let me share a testimony from one of our missionaries in India that we help support. Father Wright, 10 years ago, we started working in the Indian village of Bojpura, where girls have been sold for years in the sex slave industry. In 2014, we purchased property there and started to build our center called Ashaga, Ashagion. I don't know, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, but... Uh, It means Hope Village. Our goal was to reach the girls by providing them a safe haven and a place to learn skills in order to earn a living. In 2017, we started a school for the children of these girls as well. The progress was very slow until the COVID-19 crisis happened. And during the pandemic, God accelerated the work there by 50 years. Because of the COVID-19 crisis, the sex industry in India has been virtually shut down. Come on. God always turns what the enemy means for evil into good. It's been virtually shut down and the girls have returned to their villages. Without work or a way to earn income and no future, they and their families reached out to us for help. Thankfully, because of the generosity of you and other donors, we've been working hard to create a place of employment for these girls and their brothers and families. It is our desire that Ashagion become self-sustaining, so we've helped create a place where new skills and trades can be learned in order for each person to earn an income. To date, we have created areas for water buffalo to milk, to milk and make cheese. We've built structures and are now raising chickens. We've also acquired and are farming goats. There are facilities for the making of relishes and pickles and also sewing of masks and other items for sale in the Indian marketplaces. We are now moving towards sustainability. While this is all wonderful and we are able to teach these girls new skills so they can earn a living, the most important thing we are seeing is that many of the girls and their extended families have come to Christ. Because of your love and concern for these families and the villages in the area, I am glad to report to you that we are now able to reach 11 additional villages as well. 
Yeah. And most importantly, over 950 people are now following Jesus who had never heard of him before. Sixty people were recently baptized and more will be soon. These salvations are what causes us to rejoice the most. Coming to Christ has always been the main purpose of this work, and you've been such a great part of this through your giving and support. You're to be commended for your faithfulness. Thank you for so much for your continued giving. And I just want to say thank you, Power Place, for your faithfulness in giving every week. And what many of you may not realize is that everything that comes in here, we give a tenth of that, a tithe, to missions. So as you give, we, we're able to give, and the missions goes on, and we, we support, I don't know how many missionaries, and God is just doing a work all around the world. This, this one just uh, jumped out at me today. I just wanted to share it with you. Amen. Amen. That's how the body of Christ works, and we, we just keep blessing and keep sending and, and investing and sending and blessing and investing and sending, blessing and and it just keeps coming back because, as you know, God has a bigger shovel. You can keep shoveling out the front door, but he's got a bigger shovel coming in the back door, and it just never runs out. That's the kind of God we serve. Today we begin a new series called This is Living. Somebody say, This is Living. This is living. And yeah, when, when you get involved in things like this, you get involved in the kingdom of God, this is living. This is how we, we live. This is how we find our purpose in life. And I want to talk about last day's living for the next uh, few weeks. First, uh, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter writes to the church and he says, the apostle Peter, y'all know him, right? You met him one time? I'm kidding. He's, he's in heaven. One of the, the first apostles, he wrote two books in the New Testament to the church. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 3, 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Somebody say God's promise is always right on time. Always right on time. He's not slow, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, God loves everyone. He loves you today. In fact, you may be here today and you need to repent. You need to find a, a forgiveness from God for, for your sin. And God's waiting. He's patiently waiting for you to finally say, okay, I'm in. Because he wants everyone saved. He didn't want anybody to perish. And then he says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And some of us have been talking about the day of the Lord when, when Jesus Christ returns. But he's going to show up like a thief. In another passage, the apostle Paul tells us that there's going to be a, a trumpet sound. And, and Jesus is going to come back like a thief in the night. You're not expecting it. It's at a time when you're not really going, oh, 
I better get ready because he's coming. No, you're ready all the time. You stay ready. You're always prepared for his coming. And so Peter says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Well, I'm concerned that nobody's finding out everything that needs to be found out. Hang on. It ain't over yet. Someone has said, God works all things together for good. If what you're going through right now isn't good, then he's not done working yet. You can bank on that. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people are you to be? I mean, get a, get a view of what's coming. It should change how you live. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. and The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. If you're not at peace with God, I pray that you are after you leave here today. I'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end of this message, to be at peace with God. There is a way to live. There is a way which is real living. Somebody say, this is living. Scottish historian Thomas Carlyle said, our grand business undoubtedly is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. And some of us are so, I'll just say it this way, many of us are so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. We're looking forward, but we're not doing anything right now. And I believe Jesus wants us to do what is clearly at hand. There's some things that we need to take care of right here, right now. So how should we live in this present age? How should we then live knowing that these are the last days of time? What, what should we do in order to speed his coming? In order to get things done that need to be done? I, I believe we can find some clues of living in the final chapters of Joshua. I know you're shocked. (laughs) Joshua chapter 17, verse 14. Then the sons of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you given me only one lot and one portion as an inheritance? Though I am a numerous people 
whom the Lord has blessed up to this point. Joshua said to them, if you are a numerous people, go up to the forest and clear a place for yourself. There in the land of the Perizzites and of the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The sons of Joseph then said, the hill country is not enough for us. But all the Canaanites who live in the valley land have iron chariots, both those that are in Beth Shean and its towns, those who are in the valley of Jezreel. But Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, you are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one lot only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it. And to its farthest borders, it shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have iron chariots, and though they are strong. A couple of things I want to look at today. First of all, the complaint. How many of you know that we like to complain? Well, you probably don't, but sometimes I get involved in that. And the children of God here in the promised land have begun to complain. They complained that they were a great people and they hadn't received a portion that was worthy of their greatness. They boasted of past blessings. They were too big for the little bit of land that was given to them. They needed more space, more elbow room, more room to grow and develop. They needed a, a greater area to showcase their abilities. I've heard that story a whole lot from people who have left the power place. I'll just leave that there. problem is that they thought too much of themselves. They thought they were somebody. They thought they were better than the rest. What God gave me isn't enough. They thought way too highly of themselves. In fact, the apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Be realistic. I, I enjoy watching American Idol. But I don't like the last part of it. I just like the first part. where people who think way more highly of themselves than they ought come to audition because somebody told them they were amazing. I'm, I'm not the kind of person to not tell you that you're amazing because I believe every one of us are created in the image of God. I believe we are somebody in him. But then there are areas outside of our giftedness that we should be realistic Just because Aunt, Aunt Sue and, and Uncle Bob think that we've, we've hung the moon and, and can sing the best there is, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the gift. 
That can go in any area of life. I just think it's, it's on display with American Idol. I, I just thoroughly enjoy the, the cleansing <laughs> process. The Apostle Paul reminds us to think very soberly, with sober judgment. Don't, don't look down on yourself, but be sober in your judgment. You know how somebody who's not sober starts to act, right? You, you've seen a few of them. Maybe you've been a few of them. And you start thinking, I can take on anybody. You know, and, and it's, it's just not sober judgment. You're in big trouble and you don't even know it. And, and this group of people had that idea. They were Joshua's own tribe. I mean, they had important associations. They were proud. And we all know that pride goes before the fall. Luke chapter three, verse seven the crowds came to John for baptism. He said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe. We're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And, and you know, you may have a great family lineage and you come from a, a great line of, of believers, but your value as a Christian is not who you're associated with, what church you belong to. I mean, you're going to stand before God alone. I can't stand there and go, yeah, but my grandpa, my dad, my brother, my sister. No, it's me, me and God. And I will stand before the judgment throne of God. And I want to be there, not thinking more highly of myself than I ought, but I want to be there with fruit to show. Here's the fruit of my life. Produce good fruit. Prove by the way that you live that you've repented and turned to God. That's what John told them. This isn't just a show. This isn't just to see who came to church today. No, this, this is, we're proving what God has done in us. Fruit's a big deal to God. I don't know if you saw on Friday, uh, Landon, our worship pastor, he did the live on, on Friday, Facebook Live. And he talked about the fig tree. Jesus came up to the fig tree. It was in full bloom. And he was hungry. Might even have been hangry. Because he came to get some fruit. And there was nothing there. And he looked at that fig tree and he said, you're cursed. Nobody will ever eat fruit from you ever again. And he walked away. And they came back later and boom, the thing had died, withered from the roots up. God cares about fruit. He cares about what you're producing in your life. And if you're living a life completely connected to him, you will have good fruit. 
You will, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time for some good fruit. Here's the reality. The fact is the enemy was still deeply entrenched in the area they did have. Not satisfied with your lot? Not enough room for your gifts and abilities? You want a larger ministry? If I could just get away from here and go be a missionary? I think you need to be faithful where you're at. You need to be found faithful where you're planted. Need to grow some deep roots so you can bear some lasting fruit. Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, the one who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. And God wants you to be found faithful in the little thing so he can pr promote you to be faithful in much. The one who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. It's a big deal. Your faithfulness is a big deal. Verse 15 of Joshua said, if you're a numerous people, if you are a numerous people, then go up to the forest and clear a place for yourself. If you really got it going on, show us what you got. There are many people who come to us, I'll just say over the past 16 years, we've had multiple conversations of people who want to lead something. And one of the first things we say is, show us who's following you. Oh, they're not. No one's following you yet? Then it's time to get some good fruit going on and start leading like God created you to lead and then we'll see what happens. This is getting heavier than I thought it was going to be. But it's real. And, and many of us want to do something big for God, but we're not willing to be faithful in the small things. We want the, the stage, we want the spotlight, but we don't want to do anything behind the scenes because nobody sees that. Nobody's patting me on the back for that. Nobody's proclaiming my name. My name didn't get in a bulletin. We don't have a bulletin, but... He said, if you're a numerous people, then go up to the forest and clear a place for yourself. Do something where you are. Be faithful in the little thing in front of you. So, well, the little thing in front of me is hard. I know. That's why it's there. This is a test. James says in James 1, 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There, there's a test going on, and it's for your good. It's producing something in you. And he says in verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, 
not lacking anything. One of the first things the, uh, the interviewer said to Christy and I when we came and told them we had a, a call of God to come plant a church in Chester County, he said to us, tell me your history. What have you done up to this point? Where have you been faithful? What difficult things have you faced and how did you overcome them? I don't want to hear about all your successes. I want to hear about the, the hard things you've been through because then I'll know you've got the perseverance to make it through this because what we're going to task you with is not an easy task. And what's coming in your life as well is not an easy thing. And so you've got to be faithful and persevere through the difficult trials that are coming your way. And God's watching. And it, we think God's not watching. We, we've really convinced ourselves nobody sees. Nobody sees. But if you don't have that attitude and you just are faithful, you'll be shocked when God says, okay, your turn. Boom. Whoa, how'd I get here? Well, you were faithful in the, and you persevered in the trials and, and now you're... Standing the test of time. You know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Mature and complete. Not lacking anything. Some of you have your eyes on a, a prize. You have your eyes on a goal. but you're not quite mature enough to handle it yet. You're not complete. Now you're going to get there. And if you'll humble yourself and let God work through you, let, let godly leaders speak into you, then you'll come to the point where you go, wow, I don't know how I got here, but here I am. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. He goes on in verse 12 and he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is living. This is living. When you've stood the test, you will receive crown of life. Your test is for your good. Your test is for your forever future. Amen. Secondly, I want to look at the challenge. The challenge that Joshua gave them in, in Joshua 17 verse 15. It's basically this, bloom where you're planted. Look at your neighbor telling that. Bloom where you planted. You've been planted there for a reason. Go ahead and bloom. You, you've got some things that right, right in front of you. Go ahead and bloom there. Don't wait for your big promotion somewhere else. Bloom where you planted. Do what God's asked you to do right there. Smack dab in the middle of it. Joshua 17 verse 15. Joshua said to them, if you are 
a numerous people, go up to the forest, clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. Sons of Joseph then said, the hill country is not enough for us, but all the Canaanites who live in the valley land of iron chariots, both those who were in Beth Shean. I didn't know the Sheans were in, in uh, the Bible, but that's pretty cool. And its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. How about that? Uh, but Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, you are a numerous people and have great power. And he's speaking into them. You shall not have one lot only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it. And to its farthest borders, it shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have iron chariots and though they're strong. I'm here to tell you today, there, there's plenty of unoccupied land within the limits of your present lot. There's plenty of unoccupied land. Cut down the trees. Tell your neighbor, cut down the trees. Yeah, there's a lot of trees there. It's a forest. Go ahead and start cutting. One at a time. Take them out. They mar your vision. They're blocking your progress. Lay the ax at the roots. There's ground to be taken. You can complain or you can create. You can cry or you can claim your territory. You can be a wimp or you can be a warrior. It's time to step up. Today is the day to decide to go through what you've been going through. Today's the day to decide to go through what you've been going through. Come out on the other side. Bloom where you're planted. Two shoe salesmen were, they found themselves in the backward part of Africa. First salesman sends a telegram back to the office. Why'd you send me here? There's no potential customers here. The natives don't even wear shoes. The other salesman wires back. No one wears shoes here. Thank you for such a wonderful opportunity. We can dominate the market. Send all possible stock. Perspective. I mean, you can look at the forest and go, oh. <laughs> or you can go, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Look at all this wood. <laughs> all I got to do is cut it down, sell it, build something with it. Move in, take some ground. It's perspective. Some of us need to get a whole new perspective of what we've been handed. Oh, I could camp here for a while. Wow. You have been placed strategically in the family, in the job, in your position. You are there for a reason. Don't complain, create. Don't cry. Start to do some things that, that are going to change the atmosphere. Cut down the trees. Bring the saws in. Let's go. There's plenty of land, unoccupied. You may not have the best of circumstances, but what are you going to do with what you've been given? It may be a forest. Go ahead and clear it. 
There may be some giants in that land. A lot of enemies. Go ahead, step on in. God gave that to you for a reason. You think it was going to be easy? No, it's never easy. Life isn't easy, but this is living. If your life was easy, you wouldn't be living. You'd melt down to nothing. You'd be a blob. I'm telling you. John Mason says, remember that the faith to move mountains always carries a pick. The faith to move mountains always carries a pick. Rising above mediocrity never just happens. It is always a result of faith combined with works. Faith without works is like gold within the earth. It's of no value until it is worked and mined out. A person who has faith without actions is like a bird with wings but no feet. Come on, John. Biblical principles times nothing equals nothing. You got to put some faith and action into what God's given you. We believers need to be people who put our faith into action. One individual with faith and action constitutes a majority. Don't wait for your ship to come in. Swim out to it. (laughs) Thomas Edison said it best when he noted, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. True faith has hands and feet. It takes action. It's not enough to know that you know. It's more important to show that you know. He goes on to say the word work appears in the Bible 564 times. So work is not a vague scriptural concept. When faith and work operate together, the result is a masterpiece. And you need to know this. Even a turtle doesn't get ahead unless he sticks his neck out. (laughs) Yeah, but you don't know how hard my life is. You don't know my past. I was driving down Highway 1, I think it was Friday, coming to the church, and... I passed this manure truck and I see something written on the back and it's written on the side as well. And as I'm driving by, I, I wrote it down. It says, spreading the past, growing the future. <laughs> spreading the past, growing the future. I thought, what a brilliant idea. I remember down in Barbados, we, we saw a sewer truck. It said, we're number one in the number two business. <laughs> I like that. Um, but this one, you know, you, you may have a rotten past. And it may be nasty and smelly. But go ahead and spread it out there and watch what happens to your future as you let God be God and you do what you need to do. This is living. John Irwin says, heroism isn't born in a moment, but in the lifetime leading up to that moment. 
you don't become a hero overnight. You've, you've prepared yourself daily. And I'm, I'm going to say to each of us, what are we doing in the daily to prepare for whatever moment's coming our way? I think we've got to do the hard things. We've got to clear the land, the land we've been given, the place you've been placed. Go on up that mountain. Go on up that mountain that's been allotted to you. Daily make choices that prepare you for your moment of heroism. In an article entitled, Who's Fixing the Lunch? Joyce Wells Booz, one of my professors in Bible college, she writes, before Jesus performed the miracle of feeding 5,000, someone fixed a lunch for a little boy. Probably his mother prepared the lunch. Perhaps she considered her job routine and unimportant. And maybe those who knew her felt the same way, yet her faithfulness to her routine, unimportant job became the preparation for a miracle. Perhaps she had made lunches on a thousand mornings, but she did it once more. And this was the lunch that became the miracle. (laughs) Across America, she says, today our homes and our churches are hurting because too many people seek only the highly visible important jobs. Churches suffer because too few people can be counted on to work in the nursery, clean the classrooms, lead the children's classes. Jobs that must be done again and again and again. She says, where are the lunch fixers who will continue day after day and year after year to give their time and commitment to make someone else's life better? I watched yesterday as, as we gathered for the, the Power Place Kids Thanksgiving Day party. And when it was all over, Pastor Jeremy was in, in the gym playing ball with the kids, which is where he should have been. But there was a host of parents who just said, well, we can't leave here with this mess. We should probably clean this place up. And before you knew it, the whole place was spick and span. They cleaned the bathrooms and the cafe and multi-purpose room and everything we had touched was cleaned once again. I'm I'm blown away at our our cleaning team that that comes week after week after week after week and just blesses this house. Amen. And you don't know it unless you have kids, but we've got a host of volunteers out here today. They're working their butts off taking care of our kids. They're teaching them. They're pouring into them. They're loving them. They're dealing with stuff. Because how many of you know little kids have stuff? I know. You just want to drop them off. Get a break for a while. Right? But it takes an army. They're fixing lunch. Oh, not physically, but they're fixing somebody's lunch so a miracle can take place. 
Joyce goes on and she says, where are the lunch fixers who will continue day after day and year after year to give their time and commitment to make someone else's life better? The person who fixed the boys' lunch used the cheapest foods available in that area, barley cakes and fish. She could have complained about having to use such cheap food while other people had better. Sometimes we miss the miracle because we sit around bemoaning what we don't have. Be faithful. Keep sending out lunches. You never know what day Jesus will choose to use what you've done as the beginning of a miracle. I would say that to all of you. Be faithful. Your work with one or two children or young people may someday become a source of blessing for thousands. I'm pretty sure that no one who helped me get raised up in God had any idea that I would be able to touch thousands of people with the gospel of Christ. They just didn't have a clue. In fact, they've told me that. I go back to my dad's church where I was raised and I've had people come up to me and say, Greg, we, we really never thought you'd amount to much. I was a free spirit. I just, I did, you know, whatever. And, and I got in trouble all the time. Every Sunday school class I was in, I'd get in trouble. I go to Royal Rangers, I get in trouble. I, everywhere I went, I got in trouble. And, and some of you have those kind of kids, but you need to have a different perspective. And realize there's something in that child. There's something in that person. They are able, if God gets a hold of their heart, he can perform a miracle through them and many lives will be touched. Thousands. I was never really all that conventional. And because of that, God's used me in very unconventional ways all these years. Some couldn't see it, but some did. And they gave their lives. They fixed my lunch. And God stepped in and performed what only he could do. Think back to some of the people that influenced my life. And if you would stand them in front of us today, you would say, they don't look like much. In fact, I don't really see much talent there. It wasn't talent. It was faithfulness. They were faithful. I, I could count every week, Austin and Lois Stutes would be there faithfully. Orman and Linda White would be there faithfully. They couldn't sing. None of them could sing. They couldn't sing. Can you imagine that? Oh, well, if I can't sing, God can't use me. Are you kidding me? All you've got to do is be faithful where he's placed you. And I stand here today because some people were faithful my life they showed me what this looked like just steady steady I was a youth pastor in Davenport Iowa 
Westside Assembly of God. And I prayed, I said, God, I need, I need youth workers. I need some, some people to come alongside me and, and help me pour into these kids. And I approached a couple of guys, uh, Gary Patrick and Charlie Haas. I said, guys, I, I approached them because God put a spotlight on them. Because I would pray and say, God, show me who needs to be a part of this ministry. Because I had people coming to me going, hey, can I be a part of that? And I've got, not, I just, I just want to pray and ask God because he knows who's supposed to be here. And so God put a, a spotlight on Charlie Haas and, and Gary Patrick. And these two guys, they, they were involved in, in racing. They would race on the weekends. And I said, guys, I think God's calling you to youth ministry. And they looked at me like, you're nuts. Yeah. And I said, look, I don't need your giftedness. I need your faithfulness. I said, well, we can't speak. We, we don't speak. I said, I don't care. You're not going to have to speak. I just need your faithfulness. I need some teenage boys to see a couple of men who love God and are just steady. Steady. Doesn't matter what comes their way, they're just steady. They started showing up on Wednesday nights. They became a huge part of our youth ministry. And God used them to just be steady. When the world was going like this and teenagers' lives were going like this, and, and they were just steady. God used them to affect so many because they live faithful. So how then should we live in light of eternity? Tell your neighbor, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Clear the trees. Drive out the Canaanites. Don't keep looking for greener pastures. Fix the lunch. Tell your neighbor, fix the lunch. Come on, baby, fix the lunch. Fix the lunch. Let's go. Do what's right in front of you. You got a job to do. You've got people to reach, people to minister to right where you are. Clear the trees. Drive out the enemy. You have great power. Do what lies clearly at hand. This is living. Let's stand together may not be glamorous, but it's effective. This is living. God, I want to be faithful. Lift your hands to him this morning. Lord, we want to be faithful, 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 steady, steady, Lord. Steady, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Power Place Audio Podcast. resources or to watch a service online visit us at www.thepowerplace.org